one of my favorite hymns. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22, page 882 on your pew Bible, if you have that in front of you. We're going to read verses 47 through 53 as we continue to work through the gospel of Luke and hear what the Lord has to say to us through it. Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against, come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. God of light, you who sent your son to shine in the darkness and to overcome that darkness, we pray that the power of your light, the, the, the gospel itself, would win our hearts today and shine brightly as we walk with Jesus through these very dark steps that he walked for our salvation. We pray all this by the power of the Spirit and the name of your Son. Amen. There are familiar words you hear at an arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Everything you say will be held against you by the court of law. The so-called um, Miranda rights is what, what, what they're known as. And what, what they basically show us is that not only that people have certain rights at the time of an arrest here in this country, but also that what someone says and does at the moment of their arrest matters. In fact, you know, later in a trial, someone might look back and say, you know, what this person did incriminates them. What this person did points um, all fingers to the fact that they are guilty. Maybe you, the opposite would be argued. Well, what we see in this passage is indeed an arrest. The arrest of Jesus, the son of God. And this arrest... At this arrest, there are no Miranda rights read. In fact, a crowd comes at the dead of night with clubs and swords to corner him like an animal, to pin him and take him away. But we also see 
that at this arrest, what Jesus says and what he does indeed says volumes about who he is and what he's come to do. In fact, you know, we're going to look at this scene, this awful scene of arrest. And what we're going to see is that stage by stage, we're actually seeing God remind us what he's been teaching us about Jesus throughout this entire gospel. So we're going to uh, follow this arrest. First, by looking at what Jesus is doing, we're going to see him confronting deceit. Then we're going to see Jesus displaying compassion. And finally, we're going to see him exposing darkness. First thing that Jesus does that tells us something about him at the moment of this arrest is he is confronting deceit. Jesus has just had that dark night of the soul, that, that night in, at Gethsemane where he is bowed before the Father. Agony, the, the, the agony of the cross is weighing down upon him, pressing him to the, the ground. We saw how he was sweating uh, like, like great drops of blood. And in that agony, he begged the father, will you take the cup from me, the cup of wrath that you have designed for me to drink? Is there any other way? And we hear, see here the father's answer. No, the son must drink of that cup and the son is willing to drink of that cup because his prayer is barely finished when a crowd arrives at the scene. You know, like shadows coming into Gethsemane and leading the crowd of officers and chief priests and servants is none other than Judas Iscariot leading the way to where Jesus is. Judas was one of the 12 He ate bread with Jesus. He was his friend. Have you ever trusted someone? Loved them? Depended on them? Put your your heart in their hands? Only for them to, to stomp on it? That's what Judas does to Jesus. Jesus welcomed him as a friend. And Judas betrays that. This has to be like Jesus starts to realize just how weighty that cup of God's wrath is going to be. Because this betrayal, it had to sting Jesus. He knew it was coming. But that doesn't, that doesn't stop the hurt and the pain of such a betrayal. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas, who had been with Jesus all this time, leads the way to where the Savior is in the dead of night. And they have to have some sign. Uh, in, the, in night, you know, you have lanterns to wave about you, but, but they need a positive ID on who this Jesus is, so they take the right guy into custody. And it's just the worst thing of all, isn't it? That the sign that Judas chose to betray Jesus is a kiss. At this time, a kiss was something that was regularly shared between anyone who was in intimate fellowship. You know, it's more than a handshake. It's more than a hug. 
It's a kiss at this time was was like saying to someone, you have my trust. You have my care. I love you. And And Judas approaches Jesus in the dark. And he gets close to him. His intention is to kiss him. And Jesus looks straight into his face and says, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And then Judas, can you imagine? He hears those words and yet he kisses him. Luke doesn't tell us that. Maybe he's so horrified that in, at the cruelty of that that he doesn't tell us that, G, that Judas kisses Jesus. But all the other gospels lay it out for us that Judas went that far to betray the Savior who looked him in the face and said, are you really doing this to me, Judas? I think what we have here is a picture of sin. What sin does, it's deceit. Jesus, with that question, is like shining a window on the the deceitfulness of sin. Sin tries to cover its tracks. You ever thought about that? The way it works? We already know that sin likes to to, to hide in dark places and to slither around and to, to hide from the light. But sin also has another mechanism. It likes, it likes to disguise itself, make itself look decent. You think of a man who is not being faithful to his wife and how he can still flatter her with flowers and jewelry even while he betrays her. When he's not with her. How, how is that possible? It's because that's what sin is like. Sin is deceitful. We shouldn't be surprised when the person who's, uh, who's uh, taking money from an organization is the same guy who gets up and tells, talks about integrity before the, the, the board of that business. It's because sin is just like that. It's hypocritical. It hides. It slithers around. And it makes itself tries to make itself look good. Sin betrays with a kiss. And isn't that what we find, what you find with your own sin against the Savior? I feel like I have to go here. I have to, I have to say it. It's, it's, it hurts, right? For you to hear that you can betray your Savior with a kiss. But I don't think that Jesus is telling us about what Judas did just so we can look at it and say, oh, that's awful. Oh, Judas, how dare you? Jesus is telling us this so that as Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, we are aware of the deceitfulness of sin, sin that we can give harbor to in our own hearts. And so when we sell our hearts out to lust, when we give our hearts away to the love of money and we engage in all sort of uh, dark deeds, behind the public view. And yet, then we come to our Savior and we give him lip service before men. And we go through the motions in church. And we stand up and and say things for our Savior. Jesus wants us to say, wants us to know that if we are betraying him in our hearts, our lip service to him is is but, but a kiss of betrayal. We have to honor the Lord in our hearts. 
to deal with all treachery and betrayal, all those sins that we're, we're not dealing with, that we're, we're trying to tuck away from his view. You already know in the Gospel of Luke over and over again that he is a gentle and a gracious Savior. He does not shame us in our struggles. But neither does he welcome a kiss of betrayal. He wants you to know that if there is sin that in your life that you are not repenting of, if there is sin that you are not dealing with, that he calls you to do that now. Don't betray your Savior with a kiss. Don't, don't wait till later to deal with those things that, that distance you from him. He wants that intimacy and fellowship with you that he promises you can have by going to him, by repenting, by weeping in tears before him, confessing what you've done. And then he welcomes you and says, all right, now let's turn from that deceit. Let's turn to a better way. And so Jesus wants us to see that deceitfulness of sin. First, first to, to see the agony that he went through to win for us eternal life, but also to call us to a more faithful way of walking with our Savior. Don't you want that? Don't you want that more faithful way of walking alongside your Savior? You can have that today. Because Jesus is the exact opposite from this deceit and mess of sin that we see in Judas. I mean, look at this. We're seeing Judas betray the Savior in this awful way. And then at the very same moment, in the, in the very next scene, we see this picture of our Savior that is beautiful. Jesus displays compassion. Compassion even to the worst of sinners. That's the second thing we need to see today. It's this miracle that Jesus performs. And um, the disciples move this story along because they see what's happening to Jesus, right? It's all clicking that He's being betrayed, that Judas is doing the unthinkable, that this crowd is here in the dead of night to to take their Savior into custody. And so they jump into action, loyal and brave. Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And they're not really waiting for an answer, are they? Because someone, okay, it was Peter. Uh, we, We know that from the Gospel of John. I mean, would it... Would it really be anyone else from what we know of Peter? He's, he's brave and he's loyal, but he, he's, he's impulsive in a way that doesn't, often doesn't get the heart of the Savior. And so here's Peter, and he jumps into action. He grabs a sword, and he swings it, and he must have been aiming right at the head, right at the neckline of this, um, this servant of the chief priest, because he, he strikes his ear and slices it right off. A total misunderstanding of the character of Christ in his kingdom. Shows you how much the disciples have to learn. Because Jesus has already said, my kingdom is not of this world. This isn't how my gospel advances. It's through, you know, taking up arms and slicing people with swords. Total misreading of of Christ's kingdom and his character and his mission. You know, in fact, they almost compromise They almost compromise everything in this moment. Because what 
What these guys would love to do is have a great excuse just to cut down Jesus and his disciples right now. They were revolutionaries who took up the sword against us and we ended it in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus still needs to go to the cross. And so he stops these disciples as this man is shrieking with pain, his ear cut off. And what does he do? He reaches out of the darkness and he touches the bleeding ear of this man. His name is Malchus. We learn from the other gospels. He touches the servant of the high priest named Malchus who is pulsing with pain and he hears, he heals his severed ear. I don't think we think enough about what the Savior is revealing about himself in this moment in the garden. This is the last miracle of Jesus before he dies. This is the last thing that Jesus does with his hands before they're bound. What's the last thing? What's the last free thing that Jesus does while his hands are still able to move about him? He heals the wounds of his enemy. He approaches the servant of his arch enemy. He touches him. He restores him. This has to be a picture of the gospel. Just this miniature little picture of the gospel. It's almost like Luke is saying, if you haven't gotten it yet, look at what Jesus does while his hands are still free. Jesus came to heal his enemies. Jesus came to bring a message of forgiveness and restoration for those those just like us who would nail him to the cross in a moment's notice to gain control over him. Jesus came for that kind of person to save them from their wounds, to heal them from their deepest pain. Friends, if you are hearing this today and you say, if, if you've been wondering whether you can really embrace the Savior, whether, whether his message is really for you, then this, this right here seals the deal. It is for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will know the healing that he brings. But turn away from the Savior and ignore him to your peril, to your death. Isn't it amazing? It's just, it's sickening really that these guys can see what Jesus just did. Everyone in this crowd with their swords and clubs and lanterns, they see what Jesus just did to this, this man. He healed him. And yet they still press in to arrest him. How is that possible? It's possible because of the third thing that Jesus does. He exposes the darkness. It's possible for people to see Jesus, the son of God, with healing in his hands. And it's possible for them to to turn away from him and arrest him and reject him and crucify him because of the darkness and the wickedness of man's heart. Jesus, the son of God, looks straight at the crowd as it presses in closer and closer. And he says, all this time, 
I was there in, in broad daylight in the public preaching in the temple. You heard what I said. I said it for all to hear. You could have come and arrested me then. But here we are with you cornering me in the dead of night. Cowards. There's no other word to describe what these men are. They are cowards. This is the cowardice of man and his sinful and wicked heart just on full display. That they choose to corner the Savior as if you were an animal and to strategically choose this time to, to arrest him, this innocent son of God. And Jesus puts his finger right on it. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. What is Jesus saying with, with those striking words in which this passage ends? Jesus is saying that these men come under the cover of darkness. They come When everyone's asleep, when Jesus is praying in this garden, because they are of their father, the prince of darkness. See, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's calling out what we hear over and over again in the Bible, that Satan and his forces are those powers of darkness that, that have a grip over this world. And Jesus is saying, he's explaining to us how people can see him heal a man in pain and still arrest him and still crucify him and still deny him. It's because they are of the darkness of the devil and they hate the deeds that Jesus does. Jesus is saying this is no ordinary arrest. It's not a tragic misunderstanding that just happened in ancient Palestine. This is a clash between God himself and the forces of evil. This is a clash between Jesus and Satan. And Jesus says, this is your hour. This is the hour in which you arrest me. This is the hour in which you crucify me. This is the hour in which you spit upon me and mock me. Here, take my hands, arrest me, do it. It's time. But notice what Jesus is saying when, when he tells them that. He's saying that he ultimately has the control. He knows it's their hour. And why does he know that? Because it's ultimately not the hour of Satan. Ultimately, this hour belongs to God. And ultimately, this hour in which the agony of Jesus and the cup of God's wrath Seems like it's filled to the brim. This is the hour in which Christ gives himself over according to the Father's will. There's a plan in all this, a plan that reaches deeper than the darkness of sinful hearts. It is a plan that was put in place before time began for the Son of God to offer himself up at that perfect right time, just at the right hour. So when the hour seems the darkest, that's 
when our Savior is full of compassion and achieves the Father's will for us. And so as we look at this passage and we see who our Savior is, as He confronts the deceitfulness of sin, He lays it bare as our Savior displays his compassion and reveals who he really is and what his gospel is all about. And then as he exposes the darkness and all of this is happening, rapid fire at the scene of his arrest, what is he really doing? He's really putting before you the same question that Luke's been putting before you over and over and over again. Whose side are you on? Are you with the darkness, the deceitfulness of sin? And the darkness and the, and, and, and the power of that hour? Or are you with Jesus? That's really what our Savior wants us to ask today. He wants us to see the darkness. And if you have been resisting the Savior... Maybe, maybe you've even brought your clubs and swords and arguments against him to try to create distance between yourself and the Savior, to put him under arrest, you could say. Jesus says, you can try that, but it's not going to work. It's only going to be to your eternal demise. But if you recognize that this Savior is the one you desperately need, the one who brings compassion and healing, even through his death, even through his betrayal. And he calls you to place your faith in him, to trust in him, and to follow him through his crucifixion to the hour of light that dawns at his resurrection. That's what our Savior puts before you. And that's what he's going to continue to put before us as we continue to see his agony and the glory on the other side of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is painful to hear of our Savior, the one whom we love, uh, arrested, betrayed, mistreated in the worst possible ways. Lord, was there ever grief like this? Surely not. And yet we see that even in the midst of all this darkness and its greatest hour, that you were in control, that you are in control, that your Savior has a plan and has worked it all the way for our good. We thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, that we would trust him for the compassionate one he is, which he showed us even at this dark hour. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.